because as, as the kids and I were scheming this week about what to do for mom, as I'm, as I'm sure most of you were as well, um, it kind of flashed across my, my mind briefly, well, I wonder what I should, I should do for my mom this year. And it was just instinctual, it was only for a moment, and I had to remember, you know, Paul, this year you don't have someone to call, you don't have a grandmother, you don't have a mother, and I know as I say that, that lands for you, many, many, many of you are, are in the exact same place, but again, it's just a reminder, is it not, that Mother's Day is a great day, we celebrate this, but we also know that behind the scenes for many of us, Mother's Day can be a very hard day. Um, there's, there, there might be death for you, death over this past year. I know that there's many women here probably who desire, eagerly desire to have kids but are not able to, um, want to be married to have kids, want, are married, can't have children. Those are all real points of pain that are really, extenu- really extenuated on days like today. But when I think about what really pierces the heart of a parent almost more than any other thing is when their child is walking away from God, when, when their child is wondering, um, when there is a wayward loved one in the extended family, where there is maybe estrangement or, or sin that has not been acknowledged or repented of, and the ripples of that just kind of echo all throughout the family, and it's really extenuated on days like today. And I want you to know if that's where you are, if that's how this particular holiday settles on your soul, it's just amazing that we are at the passage that we are at at this particular time. Because the Apostle Paul knows, even though we don't believe the Apostle Paul had children of his own, he did know, probably more than most human beings, the, the pain of searing loss from people that he had poured his life out for, people that he had given his vocation to, his calling, his blood and his sweat and his tears and his letters and his, and his travels, only to see some of those very same people push the knife deep into his back. And as we've seen in 2 Corinthians, that's exactly what's been going on. That Paul has been, has been making an appeal all throughout these first 12 chapters for them to come back to the Lord. Because for Paul, it was much bigger than simply personal betrayal, as painful as that was. It was more what their personal betrayal symbolized, what it represented. And as we ended last week, when Pastor Day preaching in 2 Corinthians 12, just a reminder of some of the pain and some of the things that that Paul was just existentially wrestling with as he is closing this letter. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20, just, just a couple of little excerpts. Paul, Paul says this. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, 
and disorder. These were all things that had infected the life of that community in Corinth. He says, I fear that when I come again, now listen to this, I may have to mourn. That's an interesting word. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity and the sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. That word mourn means literally to grieve a death, but it can also, in this context, mean to grieve over a loss, to experience deeply the taking away of a dream. I think I can look out over here, and I just know many of the moms here, I know that many of you have had deep dreams, powerful dreams, impactful visions of what you wanted your marriage to be, your family to be, your children to be. And in our brokenness and fallenness, it, always, it doesn't always work out to be the case. And the question is, what do we do with that? How do we, how do we think about that? How are we to absorb that? And, and let me just tell you where we're going to go over the next two weeks. Paul is going to speak directly to that issue. And, and next week is when we will kind of get into the meat of this text we will sort of unpack what, how Paul calls us to walk in faith with the wayward people in our life for the unresolved situations in our life. But today, we just want to spend a few minutes tracing out a couple of the core themes, the things that Paul puts as stakes in the ground and say, Christian, here's how to think about this. Here's how to situate yourself with this. Here's how to think about this, pray about this before the Lord. And then next week we'll unpack the details. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 13. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's just 14 verses. Paul says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others And I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. 
comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, this is a hard passage, but Lord, but because it's in your word, it's a good passage. It's, it, it's, it, these are words that have life. And so Lord, as we unpack them over these next two weeks together, where would you really speak comfort and truth and wisdom through them, that we would be able to walk faithfully and full of hope, full of, full of trust, full of faith in the unresolved, unrepentant, wayward situations that we may find ourselves right in the middle of today. So Lord, we need your grace to be able to, to wrap our minds around that and our hearts. We ask that you would go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, let's, let's be honest. That's, is it just me or is that a hard passage for Mother's Day? <laughs> That's a hard passage for Mother's Day. You know, and, and, and we're going to unpack this next week. And what, is, what does Paul mean when he says, test yourself? What does it mean when Paul's giving all these warnings and, oh my goodness? Here, here's what I want to do this morning, just for the next few minutes together. I want to show us, actually, how Paul's last chapter here, how, how this is actually, his words here are, are full of hope. They are actually full of faith. They are actually um, bombs to our souls if we can just understand them. So that, I just want to spend a few minutes tracing that out for us. Look at verse 1. Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. And, and if you've been with us over the past seven months, you know this in itself is an amazing statement, okay? Because Paul is like the spiritual terminator. You know what I'm saying about that, okay? So, so what is the mission of a terminator? It, to terminate someone? Okay, got that, okay? And, and, and that terminator will not stop. Okay, it will not relent. It will not pause until it carries out its mission, right? It can, be, it can be shot. You can stick a piece of explosive on it. You can run over it, drive it off a cliff. Nothing is going to deter it. And, and let me tell you, this is the Apostle Paul when it comes to Corinth. He has visited twice. And this last visit that he had, before this, he calls the painful visit. He has written three letters before this. He has sent his best helpers, his emissaries. He has prayed. It says in this, in this passage that he's experienced daily anxiety about the situation in this church. And if there could be anyone, anyone who could be excused by, by tapping out and say, you know what, I've done enough here. I've done enough. It would have been Paul and the church in Corinth. But here's what he says in verse 1. He says, this is the third time I am coming to you. And as, and as I think about that, even, even just right now, 
What an amazing picture of the gospel that is. Okay? When you are tempted with the wayward, unresolved, unrepentant situation in your life, whatever that looks like, okay, whatever that looks like, and you are tempted to give up faith and hope, just remember that Jesus Christ didn't just visit you one time or two times or even three times. He visits you every hour. He visits you every day. He pursued you when you didn't know him. He pursued you when you knew him but, di- but acted like you didn't. He's pursuing you right now. This is the gospel of grace. And the question we have to ask is, what in the world would propel Paul forward to come to Corinth yet one more time to deal with these crazy people? <laughs> Do you know, what I'm, you know what I mean? This is a crazy church. This is a crazy church. What, where does Paul find the sort of intestinal fortitude to make this happen? Because I think if we can put our finger on that, we too will have a renewed vision, not only for the gospel of grace poured out in our lives, but also how God might use us in the lives of those, some very close to us, children even, who are walking away from the Lord. So what is that thing? That's what we're asking. Okay, that, what is that thing? I, you know, I've been doing a sample here, as I want to do, of what different people are doing, um, different, um, what, what you're doing over the course of the summer. And some of you are really doing some, some cool things. There, there's the couple who's celebrating their 25th, anniversary by going to Hawaii. May the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. Okay, but no, no, Lord, Lord bless you and keep you on that journey. Okay, I know a family is going to go spend a good amount of time in the, in the mountains. There's a, there's a travel soccer team that's heading to Europe. Okay, um, there, For some reason, there's, a, there's one of our families here who's getting in an RV and traveling up and down the East Coast. And let me just tell you, that sounds miserable, okay? I do not know what that family is thinking, okay? But if you happen to be flying this summer, hopefully the fate of Tom Hanks and Castaway will not await you, right? Okay, so, so who, who, is, who has seen this? Okay, a lot of us have seen it, but if you have not, Tom Hanks is a FedEx pilot, and he is on, he is traveling internationally, he's heading back from Asia across the South Pacific, and they're in a violent storm. And so his, the, 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 the plane he is in takes a major detour from its route and in the process is struck by lightning and ends up crashing in the ocean. Everyone but Tom Hanks has to be Tom. They couldn't have Tom Hanks die in the first scene, right? Because he makes $20 million a movie and that would not do. But anyway, he die, everybody but him dies in the first scene and Tom Hanks finds himself stranded alone on this little postage stamp of an island. And, and he's immediately, obviously, caught up in, how am I going to get off this thing? What am I going to do? And he starts the first part of the movie just full of hope, right? So he makes a, he makes a big fire, okay? He's like, oh, I, I made a huge fire. They're gonna be able, they'll be able to find me. He draws on the sand. Um, he, he builds a homemade raft. So he thinks, if I can just get out over the reef, I can be found. And the movie is basically the telling, 
Hey, this, if this is spoiler alert, then you've got to get a life, okay, and rent this movie. But, it, but the rest of this movie is just sort of unpacked where you see where he starts here in terms of hope. And then he just slowly deteriorates over time as he realizes no one can find me. Because he does the calculations and realizes he's thousands of miles off course. They'll never be able to find him. And then he becomes consumed with how he can take his own life. As you know, hope is a very powerful thing. It's so powerful that when you lose it, it's so tempting to want to cash it all in. Now, part of the journey of Tom Hanks in this movie is that right as he is at the abyss of, 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 his, of his existence and why he can live, how can he live any longer, there's, some, there's a piece of garbage that washes across the sh- up, up the shore. Do you remember what it was? It was the door to a porta potty, okay, which comes in really handy on the deserted island. But nonetheless... And, and it really captures his life from that point where he gets invigorated because he's thinking about he builds this raft and this can be at sale. And anyway, it's, it's fanciful. But nonetheless, it really extenuates this idea of how powerful hope is. For those of you who are walking through a difficult, wayward, prodigal, estrangement, unrepentant sin sort of situation that Paul talks about here, where are you on the hope meter this morning? Okay. Some of you, if you were honest, would say, Pastor Paul, I am just so low. I, I'm, I, it almost doesn't even register on the scale. And I just want to point out two ways. Okay, This will be kind of our stakes in the ground as we head into this passage next week. What was the basis for Paul's hope? Okay, and, 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 and by the way, the answer will always be Jesus, right? <laughs> okay, we understand that. But how? How is Jesus the basis for that hope? How does that manifest itself? How is that lived out in my life, in your life today, as you're driving home in the car, realizing this situation has not gone away? Whatever that thing is, it's not gone away. In fact, it, I feel it more acutely now than when I came in. Thanks a lot, Pastor Paul, right? If that's, that's where you are, okay, how? How is hope manifested for Paul? How is it manifested for you and me? Okay, look at verse 4. And, 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 and the first basis for Paul's hope is simply this. Christ's power. Christ's power. Verse 4. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Because, you know, there's nothing like a prodigal wayward situation to make you feel weak and to make you feel helpless, is there? You may feel like, Pastor Paul, I've tried everything. (laughs) I've cajoled. I've explained I've given them eight books by R.C. Sproul, okay, which found their way to the back seat of their car, okay? I've, I've manipulated, I've controlled, I've appeased, I've, I mean, whatever, okay? There, there's, there's nothing like, a, like an unresolved relational something like that that can make you feel so weak 
and powerless. Which is exactly where God wants you to be. It's where God wants me to be. In fact, it's exactly where Paul was. Because I think if Paul were here, he would say, before you strategize, for hoax, before you get your plan of action, before you try step four, five, six, seven, and eight, let me, let me call you to do one thing. Okay? Let me call you to do one thing. Look in verse 7. But we what? Pray to God that you may not do wrong, that you may do what is right. Verse 9, your restoration is what? What? Is what we pray for. Guys, Paul, Paul could not be more, more obvious for us right now. Why he has hope in this situation is simply this. For folks, it's God's power and not yours is what is decisive in the life of a prodigal. God's power, not yours, is what is decisive in the life of a prodigal. Today, for some of us, we need to stop maneuvering, stop worrying, stop being consumed, and simply go before the Lord and pray. Because Paul, if he were here, would tell us, when we are weak, what? He is strong. See, he is strong. You know, I was talking to my dad um, this morning, and my dad was raised by his stepfather. My dad's father died when my dad was about two, and so his mom remarried a man named Ralph. And Ralph was a good man, he was a hardworking man. He was the caretaker of a, of a church and helped clean it and keep it in order. Ralph was a hardworking man, but he was a very hard man. Do you know what I mean by that? He fought in World War I. He grew up in the Great Depression. He was a no-nonsense, independent sort of guy. My dad said he always cursed like a sailor, and he was impervious to the gospel impervious to spiritual truth, a hardened heart. My dad became a Christian when he was 18 and was baptized in a Baptist church up on Signal Mountain and began to engage Ralph in the matters of his heart. He was a a lost guy, just lost as lost can be. And, and, And let me tell you this, parents. When you start praying for your prodigal child, that can be a dangerous thing. Why can that be dangerous? Because God will start working, oftentimes by exposing them to the great desperate weakness and neediness in their life. And this is precisely what happened to, to Ralph. Because my dad started praying for him, and sometime a few years later, Ralph came down with a, a terminal diagnosis of bone cancer had eaten up his whole body. And the pastor at that church where Ralph worked kind of took Ralph under his wing and just began to share and talk and pray until probably several months before he passed away. And this was no deathbed conversion. Okay? God just sort of seized Ralph's heart. 
and changed his heart and, sh- and showed him his need for grace. And as he was weak and withering away, God's power was made perfect in his weakness. Folks, that's the whole message of 2 Corinthians. Until God exposes us into our weakness, we will never fully understand or have manifest in our lives the power of Christ. Knowing that it is God's power that is decisive okay, in, in, in all of our lives, but, but particularly understood in the life of someone who's straying, who's wondering, who's just like the church in Corinth. We have to be able to say with Paul, for we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him, not by our power, but the power of God. So Paul would say, Paul, Paul's hope is grounded in the fact that it's Christ's power that is always decisive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you spend more time consumed with what you should do or what you're doing than in bringing that situation or relationship before the Lord? That'll reveal something about your theology, won't it? That'll reveal something about your theology. Paul was a praying man. Christ's power was the basis for his hope. Second thing and we're done. Second basis for Paul's hope. There's Christ's power, but there's also Christ's people. Look at verse 11. He says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You know, you've heard the expression, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, what? Shame on me. And how about three, four, and five times? You're an idiot, right? <laughs> okay. Has Paul lost his mind, we might ask? You know, if there's anyone who could be justified in chucking the church, surely it would be Paul, right? Paul has seen it all. And I don't know what all of your stories are, your backgrounds, your experiences. Maybe you're in here for Mother's Day with a family friend or a relative or the dedication or whatever, and you have a church story to tell. Okay? And with all due respect, let me say this. Nobody had a story to tell like Paul did, right? <laughs> Paul experienced it all. Paul was betrayed time after time. His spirits were crushed. He was stabbed in the back. He watched unresolved, unrepentant people have him for dinner. But yet he tells us he's coming back for a third time. And we're just saying, Paul, haven't we been down this road before? Why? Why, Paul? Why the people of God? Paul, why do you still have faith in the people of God? Guys, and that's a relevant question. Because you will hear culturally, theologically, Christian authors and sellers will will, will tell you, okay, the church has blown it, the church is done. We need to to walk away from the church. We need to find new expressions to, to worship God and to be witness and all of those sorts of things. 
But why does Paul never advocate for that? Look at verse 5. It says something just so profound. He says, Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Folks, Jesus, Paul, Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is in you. He, he inhabits your heart. He dwells with you. But that's not what Paul's talking about here exclusively. This is in the plural. If Paul were here, he would say, Four Oaks, don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Paul, there is, there is a unique, special way that God's Spirit is manifested and dwells with his people corporately, collectively, that is completely and totally unique. The reason Paul does not give up on the church is because Jesus didn't give up on the church. See, Jesus died for the church. Jesus put his spirit in the church. Jesus is patient with the church. And Jesus promises to build his church. And Paul says, I have hope, not because all of you are awesome, but because Jesus Christ is in you. And this is, and if you've heard me say this before, but if the church was all awesome and beautiful and great, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die for her. Jesus died for us because of our need. See, there is no plan B for Paul outside of the people of God. That's where his spirit is. It's Christ's power working through Christ's people that Paul is going to tell us next week how that changes the heart or can change the heart of the wayward and the unrepentant. When we say, Paul, Pastor Paul, how does that work? And what will I tell you? Come back next week and hear it. <laughs>